Larry Walters and his wife Christy were heading back to their cabin after a day trip in Nova Scotia. They, uh, they had a healthy uh, respect and fear of the ice, being from Canada. Therefore, they stopped their car at the edge of the lake and decided to take the four-wheeler across the lake back to their cabin. Even though they could see tire tracks of much bigger vehicles that had uh, traversed the lake, they thought, to be on the safe side, we'll bring the four-wheeler. So they got out the four-wheeler, and, and uh, as they got to the halfway point of the lake, Larry describes hearing a crack in the ice, and immediately a hole broke through the ice, and the four-wheeler that they were on stopped, dropped, and rolled, and sank immediately to the bottom, and Larry and his wife, Christy, were left treading water in the middle of a freezing lake in Nova Scotia. They did what we would all do. They swam to the edge where the ice was and tried to pull themselves up on the ice, but that was ineffective. They just couldn't seem to get a grip on the ice try as hard as they could for about 10 minutes of trying. Their strength was failing. Their shoes were filled with water. Larry and Chrissy realized they were going to die. Larry swam over to his wife, gave her a hug, told her how much she meant to him. And they were left there with their fear, in the cold, and they were waiting to die alone. We've been talking about rising like a wolf, but what I just described there is a feeling that I think too often that we can relate to where sometimes in our thoughts we're afraid. Our minds are filled with anxiety and concern, hopelessness about the future. And we've been talking about wolves in this uh, particular uh, series. And there's a scripture in Habakkuk that talks about one of the enemies of Israel and it describes them uh, that they are hasty and bitter and terrible and dreadful. They are swifter than leopards and they are more fierce than evening wolves. Evening wolves. When the great preacher Charles Spurgeon described evening wolves, he talked about those thoughts that often come into our minds in the evening time. Those, uh, and, and we know that wolves are around us all day long, but it's at night, isn't it, that we hear the wolf that's crying in the distance. And uh, so sometimes when we, when, when we go to sleep at night, and I've heard the people describe it as hamsters in their head, that they can't get to sleep because they've got hamsters in, the, in their head. But could I just say that sometimes those hamsters become more sinister and they morph into wolves. 
And those wolves in our head are wolves of self-doubt and self-defeat and in some cases even self-harm, fear and anxiety about the future. Night wolves is what Spurgeon called it. It's those concerns that come to us after all of the noise of our day is, is done and and all of our work and all of our play and all of our surfing of the internet and all that's quiet in our home and we're left there sometimes just to the howling of those night wolves. It seems like it's at night time that they come out. There's even a psychological disorder that happens in the wintertime called SAD. Have you heard of it? SAD. Seasonal Affective Disorder. It's when the sun is, is up less time during the day and there's more darkness and people struggle more with depression and sadness and anxiety and fear. And we're so glad when these days, and one thing I love about living in East Tennessee is these days get longer and uh, longer. In fact, we're going to go we're going to go to a place this summer when we uh, go with my parents on their 60th into northern Russia where they call it the white nights where we're going to have sun for 22 hours of a 24-hour day. But in the night those evening wolves can attack and worry hits us and our thinking can become uh, can can become deadly to us and and can move in a negative way and we and we and we worry about scenarios about the future and everything that could go wrong in alcoholics anonymous they call it stinking thinking our thinking goes south think thoughts that we shouldn't think about and we worry you know there have been studies done that that worrying makes you worse in, in other words if you are if you are spending a lot of energy worrying about a test, the studies have shown that the more that you worried about the test, the worse that you did on the test because there's something about our brain that it can't do those two things at one time. Uh, and that energy that is spent on worrying is energy that could have spent studying for that test, preparing for that test. But worrying makes us worse, doesn't it? Worrying makes us worse. That's why Jesus actually said, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than you? He goes on to say, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Worrying generally has to do with the future. We worry about what's coming next. We worry about the next stage of life. By the way, I think, I think that the news networks are designed to make us worry. Amen. That whatever, that, 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 that there's an agenda, because they know the more you worry, the more you'll watch. 
And, uh, and so their, their goal is to make you worry. And so because it's a competitive thing, the networks get in a competition. Who can make you worry the most? And worry has just become a part of our day. One out of five Americans have a drug problem today. One out of five are addicted to drugs, um, sometimes illicit, but sometimes prescription drugs. What's the problem? The this, this problem with anxiety is that if we break our arm, we can wear our cast with pride. But if we have anxiety, if we have worry, we don't feel like we can talk about that. And so there's so many people that are suffering and pain and silently and 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 one out of 10 Americans are on antidepressants of some sort pain medication prescription pain medication just beat car accidents as the number one cause of accidental death in the United States overuse of pain medication and we feel like Larry and Christy, that we're being pulled under the ice. We become bound by anxiety. Suicide in the last 20 years has gone up by 25% in the United States. Shockingly, last year we heard the news of a megachurch pastor that committed suicide. And then in short order thereafter, a couple months later, another one. So that articles are being written. Why are so many pastors depressed and having suicidal thoughts? If we're going to win the war that uh, that, that we've been talking about in this series, we're not only going to have to think like a wolf, we're not going to only have to speak like a wolf, we're not going to only have to act like a wolf, we're going to have to learn to fight like a wolf. Amen. We're going to have to have some fight in us because how many know that life is not a playground, but life is a battleground? We're in a battle. So that the Apostle Paul, when he came to the end, he's, he said, he didn't say, I've lived a good life. He said, I fought a good fight. He described, he described this life as a fight. I fought it. I finished the course. I kept the faith. We began this whole series with a quote about uh, Teddy Roosevelt, that when he, he took Sam Juan Hill, that there was a wolf that rose within him. He was, he was a fighter. Teddy Roosevelt was a fighter. He was campaigning for president one time, and he was taking a train all over the United States. And, and while he was taking that train all over the United States, uh, uh, he actually got shot uh, while he was on the train, and they wanted to take him to the hospital. But Teddy Roosevelt said, no, don't take me to the hospital take me to my speech. And so here he was shot. He spoke for 90 minutes and then he said, now you can take me to the hospital. That's the kind of fighter that, that Teddy Roosevelt was. When he died at age 60, the sitting pre- vice president at that time said this about him, death had to take Roosevelt sleeping because if he'd have been awake, there would have been a fight. I just was this past week in Louisville, Kentucky, laying my pastor, who was 80 years old, and he started pastoring in 1967, pastored a church for 40 years. He was my pastor. 
we were in seminary. I went last year in June to say my final goodbyes to him. He died the following May. He was a fighter. He fought. Death, the Bible describes, is our final enemy. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. If we're going to fight like a wolf, we're going to need to do some things. If you're taking notes today in your notes, the first thing that we need to do is we need to control the high ground. If you're going to fight, one of the things, especially in ancient fighting, it was whoever controlled the high ground, that was the one that had the advantage. If you had the high ground and you were, you were coming up from below, the sun could get in your eyes. Your weapons worked better when you, had a, when you, when you, when you were looking from above that coward in, uh, in Las Vegas several years back. We know that he, uh, he, he shot from an upper, uh, an upper room of a hotel room. He had high ground and he was just shooting down at a helpless crowd down below. What do I mean by controlling the high ground, though? Uh, what I what I what I what I want to say is is the enemy wants to wants to get a hold of the first part of your day, and the enemy wants to get a hold of the last part of your day. When the sun goes down, and when there's when there is all those thoughts in your head, you've got to learn to control the high. How do you begin each day? Do you begin each day by picking up your phone and scrolling through? Facebook, can I just suggest this morning that you might consider beginning your day with, 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 with prayer. Begin your day by getting in the Word of God. I, one of the things that I do, uh, and, I, and I'm no different from you, I need it just like you do. For the last probably four or five years now, I go through the one-year Bible, and it's just my daily regiment, my daily regiment that I'm reading a little bit from the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, Every day. Why? Because, because I'm taking the high ground from the enemy. Amen. So I, I would suggest that you begin your day and that you end your day focusing somehow on the Lord. I, I, I learned a technique several years ago because I have some wolves that, that come at night. You know, uh, temptation, by the way, often comes at night. And, and, and someone uh, taught me about breathing prayers. You know what a breathing prayer is? It's a prayer where you inhale and you say one phrase and you exhale and say the other phrase. And one of my breathing prayers is, Lord Jesus Christ, I inhale that. And then I exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. A and I'll just say that to myself as I'm laying in bed going to sleep. And I get to sleep very fast because I really think that, that God and the devil actually work together on that one because God works because he's giving you peace because you're calling on him. The devil says, I want you to quit calling on God so I'll help you sleep too. So <laughs> he leaves you alone there too. Uh, but, enough, but, but you know, someone said, you know, the, the Jesus prayer is all right. But, but, but sometimes that's not the message I need. Have mercy on me, a sinner, because I, I, I'm usually pretty aware 
uh, that I am a sinner and, and don't need a lot of help reinforcing that. And someone suggested another prayer, and this is a prayer that I use when I'm feeling inadequate, uh, and I just say this to myself. It's a, breathe, a breathing prayer that I'll do in bed. I say, the Lord is my shepherd. I inhale that. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. That's just a such a great, such a great truth to breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. We've got to get control of. The, we have we have a, in our church a recovering uh, a recovering addict to prescription drugs. He said he said tell him my name. He said tell him my name. I, I want. But, but it's, it's Brandon. He's not in this service. But Brandon, Brandon every morning sends me a text. And it's a, a text of an inspirational scripture or quote, something that he's reading. It's, he's not doing it for me. He's doing it for himself. But he's sending it to me to be accountable for that thought that he's, that he's reading every day, that he's, that he's focusing on every day. And it's, it's part of his recovery to start each day by taking the high ground. Sometimes I'll write him little comments back. You know, it, it's really important that we have somebody in life that knows us, that we're not alone, that we're, that we're lone wolves. My, my daughter gave me an early Father's Day gift this year. Um, I don't know what she was trying to say to me, but she gave me 10 sessions with a personal trainer. <clears throat> So I've started. And uh, my personal trainer doesn't mess around. He tells me what to eat. He tells me how much I have to exercise every day. He, he, uh, he basically thinks he's in charge of my life now. But accountability with a coach is so important. Can I just say to somebody here today, don't be a lone wolf. We're in this together, and we need each other. How, how sad to me, those pastors that were so hopeless that they couldn't open up about the anxiety and depression that they were feeling, but maybe because they were pastors, they thought that they had to pretend like they had it all together when they're just like everybody else. We all need people. We all need coaches in our life, and I just appreciate that about Brandon. He's just... He's just doing that. He's, he's, he's making sure that he has the high ground covered. The, the next thing that I want to say is fight fire with fire. You can't burn something that's already on fire. And the devil wants to destroy us and he wants to, he wants to wreak havoc in our lives. But we need to be on fire. It's said of John Wesley that he said uh, about his preaching, I set myself on fire and let people watch me burn. We need to set ourselves on fire. Uh, Can I just say that if you live for God easy, it's going to be hard. In other words, if you live for God in some little weak way, if you're just kind of a weekend Christian, if you're just kind of playing the little game. You know, I, I'm secular all week long and I give an hour to Jesus on Sunday. Can I just say that all of our day is sacred. All of our day is sacred. All of our life is sacred. We need to be on fire for God. And if we're on fire, amen, we can fight fire 
with fire. You know, becoming a Christian was not just a decision. It was an ignition. Let me say that again. Becoming a I think sometimes we treat becoming a Christian like some logical conclusion we came to that I was now smart enough that I decided to make Jesus my choice. No, the, the, the truth of the matter is we were heading one way and God took over our lives and we were born again and we were filled with the Holy Spirit and on the day of Pentecost there was tongues of fire that was on, our, on their heads and we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. God filled with that fire again. Amen. And, and the, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. We should ask daily, Lord Jesus, just fill me again. Fill me with that fire of your Spirit. Fight fire with fire. The next thing uh, that I'm going to say is raise your voice. Raise your voice. Now, now, you know, you normally don't hear people say in church, you know, raise your voice. We're, we're, we're peaceful people. But you know what? With the enemy, you have to raise your voice. Somebody taught me, you know, the scriptures over and over in the book of Psalms talk about shouting unto God with the voice of triumph. That shouting discomforts the devil. It, uh, you know, I, I've learned by being in Tennessee, how, what do you do if you see a bear? You don't run. You make yourself look big, right? You try to make yourself look as big as you can. You make noise. But, but, uh, but, but, but really. Jesus, before he faced his greatest attempt, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, just before he goes to the cross, it says that they went out and they sang a hymn when they were out on the Mount of Olives. We need to have a song in our heart. We need to have a song in our heart. I, the other day I just woke up singing an old hymn, and it's so much on my mind that I asked Susan if she'd help me this morning just teach you an old hymn and I woke up singing it and this is ammunition against the enemy take it away Susan I had a, I had a professor in seminary there we go is that G praise him praise him Jesus our blessed redeemer sing ye saints his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, mightiest angels in glory. Strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will feed his people. In his arms he carries them all day long. Uh, let's do the last verse. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, not with those. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown Him, crown Him, prophet and priest, and death is vanquished. Death is vanquished. Talent with joy. Where is now thy victory boasting grave? 
song like that. You can't have a song in your heart like that and be worried at the same time. You can't drive a car forward and in reverse at the same time. You can't worship and worry at the same time. Amen? So you've got to lift your voice. Raise your voice against the enemy. Amen. Amen, amen. I had a professor in seminary that he talked to us about doing, he, he said, uh, this was Dallas Willard, he said, um, I've got an assignment for you. I want you to do an ecstatic reading of Scripture. And what an ecstatic reading of Scripture is, I want you to read a particular passage of Scripture at the top of your voice. And so we were on this, we were on a, in a retreat center. He said, someday go out in the woods today, go out, uh, you know, on one of the trails and just start reading Psalms 148 to 149 and 150 at the top of your voice and see what it does inside of you. Uh, I went for a jog later that day. And when I went for a jog, I was coming back from the jog and I was jogging onto the, to the property. And we had one of our students from China. He didn't know anyone was around, but I could hear him just at the top of his voice, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights above, praise him all ye angels, praise him all the heavenly hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens and the waters above the skies, let, let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. As he was reading the scripture and I was running down that trail, tears were coming to my eyes as I just heard this guy reading with everything that he had, an ecstatic reading of Scripture. I challenge you. Nobody's home in your house? Take out Psalms 148, 149, 150. See what happens to you when you do that. Fight the good, fight the faith. And then keep showing up. You know, when we when we say this is a battle, this doesn't mean you get slapped down once and it's game over. If you watch a fight, a guy will go down on a mat, he'll get up again, he might spit out a tooth in the corner. That that's more that's more like the Christian life is. It's a battle. It's not just a one round deal. Uh, the the scripture says, "Do not gloat over me, my enemies, for though I fall, I will rise again." Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Another scripture says in Proverbs, it said the godly may trip seven times, but he's going to get up eight. Amen. Amen. You may fall down seven times, but if you fall down seven times, get up eight. Some of you may be here today and you've got a slip. Uh, You've made a mistake and you're just feeling defeated this morning. Let me just tell you, get up again. This is a fight. Say, rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. Amen, amen. Tim Leatherman. Tim Leatherman got his engineering degree from the University of, of Oregon in mechanical engineering. And in 1975, he took a trip uh, to Europe with his wife. And while he was there, he was driving a little Fiat around, and he was having all kinds of trouble. And uh, uh, so he used a knife and a pair of pliers a uh, pocket knife and a pair of pliers to, to, to fix most things. And he, he dealt with leaky plumbing wherever he was. And he thought to himself on that trip, man, if they, just had, if they just had a tool that had both a knife and a pliers in it at the same time, that would sure be handy. There would be a lot that I could do if I had one tool set 
you know, in this one knife. So he came back from his trip, and he, and he was inspired with this idea of making this multi-tool knife. And, and in his mind, he said, I think it'll take me about a month uh, to do the prototype, and then I'll be ready to, to get it patented. Well, it didn't take a month. It took three years. It took three years to get the design right. It took three years for it uh, uh, to, to, uh, to just to get a patent. And then after he got the patent, he went from company to company uh, trying to sell this design tool knife to them. They laughed at him. Stanley, who makes a lot of, a lot of tools, uh, they, they wrote him back and said, nobody will ever go uh, for something like this. He did that for five years. Finally, he partnered with uh, his uh, roommate from college, and, and, and they finally got one fledgling little company named Cabela's to, uh, to buy 500 of these uh, tool, these knife tools, and he got his first order. He was hoping that in the uh, first year that he might sell 4,000 of those tools. They actually sold 30,000, and over the next decade, they would sell over 1 million of those tools. He didn't give up. He kept showing up. One of the things that I say to students is, go to class. Don't skip class. You never know what's going to show up in the, in, in the test just by being in class. Can I say to, to those of a church, show up. You never know what's going to happen when we get together. Amen. Amen. It's, it's really important that we keep showing up. And finally, I want you to remember how, that the stakes are so high. Nehemiah said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It's not just about you. There are people that are, there are people that are hanging in the balance over how you do in this battle called life. We left Larry and Christy in the middle of the lake. Larry had said his last goodbyes to his wife. Freezing cold. Larry dropped his hand down by his side and he felt something in his pocket and he pulled out a Leatherman knife, one of these multi-tool knives. He pulled out a knife, opened the pliers and jabbed it into the ice. Using that as an anchor, he pulled himself out of the water, turned around and pulled his wife to safety, and they walked back to their cabin, and they made it. People are hanging in the balance over you making it. I just want to say this morning, you've got to make it. You've got to. There's, there's a song that Hezekiah Walker wrote called, I Need You to Survive. I Need You to Survive. I've asked if they'd play that this morning. And uh, I want you to listen, and then I want you to sing along with it. Because we're in a battle, and we need each other. 
and we need each other to survive. Amen. Father, we just come to you this morning and we confess that we need you. And I pray, Lord God, that we would fight the good fight of faith. I pray, Lord, that we would take the high ground in our life, God. I pray, Lord, that we would fight fire with fire, Lord. I pray that we would realize how high the stakes are, God. And I just ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that we wouldn't leave here today, Lord, without knowing, God, that you are with us, God, that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 We're going to have some people that are... uh, ready to serve you communion. And as we continue to sing this song, I just invite you to take communion. Let's worship the Lord together.